1: Good morning, and I am so delighted and honored to be here with an amazing guest, Dr. Selish Rao, who was instrumental in the development of the internet that we're using right now, the Ethernet, and who is also a vegan visionary. I came up with that title today because um, I was trying to describe him, and I was like, he's a visionary, which is incredible. And um, he's also an engineer. He has a doctorate from Stanford. We're talking heavy-duty intellectual. And guess what? He has created a mission and a goal and an intention. He has set a huge intention a Vegan World by 2026. Welcome, Dr. Salish Rao.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you. And thank you for speaking up, sir, because I'm a big loudmouth, so I don't want to drown you out. Tell me your vision for a vegan world for 2026.
2: The goal is to turn the whole world largely vegan by 2026, because by 2026, if we don't do that, we are in big trouble. So uh, it it actually is, is the earth pushing us to do this.
1: Now, do you think some might say a vegan world by 2026, we'd be lucky if one of the fast food giants went vegan by 2026. That's an audacious uh, mission, and I love it, precisely because it's an audacious mission. Do you have an idea to tell those watching how you might create a vegan world by 2026?
2: You know, it always happens when a group of dedicated people believe that it can be done, and they organize and work to make it happen. Uh, It's what happened in the Internet. Uh, Internet in 1995, people said it's not going to happen. There was an article in Newsweek saying the internet is going nowhere. Who's going to buy things off the internet? Who's going to read things off the internet? You know, it's never going to happen. And a bunch of us got together. We believed it could be done and we worked very hard and we made it happen. You know, so uh, it's the same thing that happened with gay marriage as well. In 2005, I heard someone say gay marriage will never happen. You know, who is going to let men get married to men? You know, this is never going to happen. And in 10 years, it was normal. And it was normal because a group of LGBT people got together, organized, and believed it could be done and worked hard to make it happen. And I think it's exactly the same way this is going to happen as well. We have to believe it can be done. We have to organize to make it happen. And then we have to work pretty hard, but we can make it happen.
1: Well, I know you have a conference that's coming up in Phoenix, October 26th to 28th. You can go to climatehealers.org and find out all about it. I hope that everybody who's interested in creating a vegan world by 2026 actually does so, and uh, that snarky vegan girl just gave me my phone, uh, and she's uh, helping to share this video to other locations, so I would urge you all to hit share so that... Um, you could share this video with others who want to create a vegan world by 2026, and we can take your questions as well. So, um, Dr. Salish Rao, how did you get this idea?
2: Well, I, back in 2014, there was a, a report by the World Wildlife Fund called the Living Planet Report, and it said that between 1970 and 2010, 52% of all wild vertebrates died. And when I saw that statistic, I was shocked because you know the way human beings work, uh, we, animals have no choice. You know they have no way to escape us. So if you want to kill animals, they're going to die. And wild animals are dying because we're taking away their land for uh, animal agriculture, and we are killing them with pesticides and poisons and all kinds of I mean horrible things. So. The, the rate at which wild animals die is proportional roughly to the, the economy that we have built. So if you look at the economy between 1970 and 2010, it has gone up by a factor of about 3.84. This is the UN figures. And so if I take an exponential curve, I'm a mathematician, so I was saying, if I take an exponential curve that's gone up by a factor of 3.8 in 40 years, and you extrapolate that out and see how many more years can we do this? It turned out to be 16 years. And I was so shocked. I said, my God, that's all we have, 2026.
1: So wait, I want to stop there. You're saying that if we don't create a plant-based world and get rid of animal agriculture by 2026, our planet
2: is doomed. Right. Basically, what we are, we are killing animals. We're killing farmed animals. We're killing wild animals. And we're killing them at a faster and faster pace. So as we do that, at some point, the wild animals, are, going, are they're all going to disappear. And when that happens, uh, pretty close to that, our necks are on the chopping block as well. You so know. in other words, the collapse of the ecosystem is going
1: to occur. And it makes perfect sense because uh, if you don't have any animals, you don't have uh, basically a, a planet. I mean, we, it's like the, the old Joni Mitchell song, I think it was, you know, pave paradise, put up a parking lot. That's what we're doing on a global scale when we kill 50 to 60 billion land animals, cows, pigs, chickens, turkeys, goats, lambs every year. This is Planet Slaughterhouse, according to uh, the brilliant another brilliant mind, Philip Wolin, who was an investment banker who became, you know, he was a banking legend and he saw it. So he's a, a member of the capitalist system who saw that, Um, this horror has to be stopped and he has devoted his life as you have to going around the world and warning people. So, uh, by the way, we want to take your calls, 866-472-5795. If you have a question or a thought, you can also uh, just ask those questions on Facebook and we will uh, tell you about it. We've got a caller, Anna, from Atlanta. What is your question or thought, Anna? Hi,
3: Jane. Well, I am a vegan, and so I therefore am trying to change the world, but um, I also am very concerned about the proliferation of all of these lawn care services that come through the subdivisions and spray the herbicides, the pesticides, the fertilizer, and what it's doing to the amphibians. I've noticed in the past couple of years, since I stopped using a lawn care service that sprayed all of those herbicides and pesticides, I now have frogs, both in my front yard and my backyard. I have salamanders. I have lizards. And I'm just curious on the thoughts about the lower end of the spectrum, these little animals that so many people think we need to get rid of in our yards, and how that affects
1: the world. In fact, I just convinced my next door neighbor, a nice guy, he had rat traps and they were um, just, you know, poison. And I told him about how it affects the entire ecosystem and the wildlife that eat the rats die. And he switched out to uh, intense peppermint. And it was very nice. I explained it to him and he listened and he changed and I thanked him. But yeah, it's, it's animal agriculture, destroying all the land so that we could grow crops to feed 50 to 60 billion farm animals. People say to me, ooh, soy. First of all, soy is great for you. But secondly, 80% of soy is fed to farm animals. So it's compressed soy. And then you add all these herbicides and pesticides. Um, It's a toxic combo, Dr. Salish
2: Rao. Yeah, absolutely. And basically we have a culture of normalized violence, violence towards other life forms. And even violence towards other human beings, you know, who who are lower down on the totem pole for us. So it's that culture that needs to change. And that's what veganism is trying to do. Veganism is saying we can actually live without harming any animals. And when we do that, we are going to figure out how to live without harming any human beings as well. So things like pesticides, herbicides, anything that says "side" in it, Mm. you know it is killing something. And when it kills something, it's going to kill other things up the food chain. So we have to figure out different ways of doing almost everything. You know, this, we consider pesticides to be so normal Mm. it shouldn't be normal.
1: Oh yeah. It's unbelievable. You go into one of these big box stores to buy a wrench or whatever. And all you see are these giant containers. I'm not going to mention brand names, uh, but pesticides. And, you know, it's like we are poisoning the planet. And how to wake people up? So, Dr. Rao, I am so honored to have you on in in my home, our home, Snarky, and my home, and um, talking about this. I can't tell you; it's like a dream come true for me. How are you going to create uh, a vegan world by 2026? You say at this conference in Phoenix, you're going to create the infrastructure. And by the way, go to climatehealers.org and learn about this conference because we need everybody who cares. To, to join us. So tell us, what is this infrastructure, this architecture for a vegan world? What does it look like?
2: So we have a list of 40 things that need to change in civilization. And, um, you know, it sounds like a huge amount, but really we live in a culture right now where we are pretending to be living in a culture of normalized nonviolence, even though it is not. So, so it's, it's taking that pretense away. So taking all the underlying things that are creating the violence and then showing us as if there is no violence happening, right? Mm-hmm. So we see flesh marketed as you know, food and basically in packages. So you don't see the animals being killed, right? So everything that we do, which is violent, we hide it right now. And so this, this transformation that we are talking about is about taking that pretense away and saying, no, we are going to be nonviolent from the outset, right? So, in that sense, people are not going to see too much of a change in the way they live, except the underlying processes and products and everything will have to change, right? And the way we issue currency will have to change, because right now we have currency being issued by a few people, so they somehow have figured out you know, that they have the right to print paper for us, mm-hmm. and, and then they kind of you know, trickle it down using debt. Mm -hmm. So we have a debt currency model. So it has to become a much more ecological currency model where what we do is measured in terms of what impact on the planet.
1: Um, We have a caller, Julian in Santa Cruz. And just scooch up just a hair if you would, doctor, uh, just to try to get your soft spoken. Unlike Mm -hmm. me, I'm a big loud mouth. So we want to make sure everybody can hear you. Uh, So your question or thought, Julian, Santa Cruz.
3: Hi, Dr. Rao. I got to meet you last week at the Animal Liberation Conference uh, up in Berkeley. I'm so glad that you're speaking about this. My question is about I have some friends who are environmentalists and they have stopped eating cows. They've stopped eating what they call beef, but they don't, they think that that's all they need to do. So how can I convince them that it's also important not to eat other animals, even if it's not contributing as much to like deforestation or climate change as um, the environmentalists have said that? that cow farming does
2: yeah you know almost all animal foods have uh, pretty much huge impact on the planet so it's not just beef it's not just cows all of them have and but unfortunately the industry is very clever at marketing it Mm -hmm. and sort of showing that cows are maybe a little bit worse than others so eat the chickens and then then you get confused because then someone says the chickens are actually worse than cows and then you go back Because chickens, there are a lot more chickens being killed, right? For the same amount of meat. So animal rights people are going to say, chickens are worse than than cows. Then they go Mm. back to eating cows. (laughs) So you have this, you know, back and forth confusion being caused by the industry. So, And for them, you know, confusion is a great way to continue the status quo. Yes. So doubt is their product, right? So this is why we have to convince people that, that, it's a dire situation. The planet is in a dire situation. It's as if you're coming, you come across a, you know someone beating up an animal on the side of the road, right? And the animal is literally dying. So the earth is literally dying right now. And then they say, oh, instead of using that stick, use this stick. And you're still beating the animal. That's not the right way to deal with this. You have to pre- prevent the people from beating the animal and then figure out how you're going to save the animal, right? So that's how you save right. the planet. We have to really... Um, be more proactive right now and convince people, convince our friends and family.
1: How do we convince people? I think that's what every vegan on the planet wants to know. We try everything. Last night I was at a vigil where we bore witness to pigs going to slaughter. Heartbreaking. You know, before, prior to that, earlier in the day, I was at National Animal Rights Day with hundreds of people in a funeral service, a commemoration for farm animals. Uh, And of course, Jane Unchained, I'm happy to say, goes live at all of those events because there's just too many people on this planet to talk to people just one-on-one. You know, 7.6 billion people, we have to all use social media. So if you walk away with one thing, share this video right now if you're watching it, And somebody who's not vegan, who's not plant-based, who's still eating animals and animal byproducts will see it and maybe it'll stop them. Maybe it'll reduce the amount. So please share this video right now. Hit share and just share it because we have, there's too many people on the planet to talk to people one-on-one. And often we expend the greatest energy trying to convince those closest to us like our friends and relatives um, to go plant-based and to give up the animals and give up the violence. And you know, you hit a brick wall, and all that energy could be used to put put the time and effort into social media, Instagram, um, LinkedIn is great, uh, Facebook, uh, Pinterest, uh, YouTube. I mean, we do still have these um, at our command. That right now we're 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 talking to people and telling them, hey, we need. Animal agriculture is the leading cause of climate change. Now, sometimes people give us a hard time when we say that. We know the United Nations, in its report, Livestock's Long Shadow, said it was causing more climate change, more greenhouse gases than all transportation combined. And then apparently some World Bank economists went even further and said it's the biggest cause of climate change. Why is it that the best and the brightest, the powers that be, whatever you want to call them, the, the major uh, newspapers are not acknowledging this. I went right. to a climate change summit that the New York Times held at Paramount Studios, and they had a whole group of people there were talking about climate change. They never talked about animal agriculture's impact. At the end, the moderator said, and, and even me, like that, like meekly, like he was afraid to say it. Right. We kind of disrupted it because we had people asking questions all through. Then they, then they went outside and had pork and chicken that they were serving. We went live and they shut us down. Um, yeah, I love the New York Times. I read it every day, but my God, where are the intellects of our culture connecting the dots here?
2: Well, they are all afraid to connect the dots. You know, I think uh, the agriculture industry is so powerful because it's the very core of our civilization. That's the core violence in the culture of normalized violence the violence that we commit to animals, on animals. And so they're so powerful. They are cornered, every government. I mean, the, uh, the beef checkoff program is a government program. So the government is now taking our money and using it to advertise the consumption of animals to our children. So even though they know it is carcinogenic. So this is happening around the world. You know, governments are promoting this. So they are so powerful that everyone is scared. They don't want to say it, even though it's obvious. I mean, if you look at it, it's so obvious, right? Even the Livestock's Long Shadow was written by uh, scientists who are employed by the industry, and they said 18% at that point in 2006 uh, was caused by uh, animal agriculture. But if you look at their numbers, you realize that they have missed two of the biggest contributors, okay? two of the biggest components. They missed it completely. They just completely ignored it. One is the opportunity cost of animal agriculture. Which is the avoided carbon sequestration? So the carbon sequestration that would happen if we just took all the land you're currently using for animal agriculture and bring back the original forest that were there, that would sequester so much carbon, much more than we, everything that we're emitting today. In fact, so we have calculated that even just 41% of the land that's currently being used for animal agriculture is returned to the original forest that used to be there, it would sequester more carbon than what we have added to the atmosphere since 1750.
1: Wow, and you know, you are one of the people who put the internet that we're using right now to spread this message together. Mm -hmm. Um, You are a doctor, you have a PhD from Stanford. You worked with Al Gore and then split from Al Gore because he wouldn't discuss the animal agriculture issue. You have credentials. Can you get into the New York Times because It's impossible. It seems like it's impossible to get this message out, which is why we're doing social media right now.
2: Right. But it is beginning to get out. You know, there was an article in science magazine uh, just a couple of days ago, a peer reviewed article, which went through in detail the impact of animal agriculture. And they are beginning to acknowledge that the avoided carbon sequestration is a huge component, which the livestock long shadow completely missed. Hmm. Again, the second big component that they missed is the, loss of carbon from all the soils that's happening because we're degrading land. As you degrade land, all the carbon in the soils are disappearing and and grasslands become deserts, okay? And that's not being calculated at all in the livestock's long shadow. So those are two huge components. And these are the two components that uh, Goodland and Anaheim tried to calculate and they added that. And the third big component that they actually deliberately, I think, um, suppressed. Suppressed. Not suppressed. They just reduce its impact by a factor of mm-hmm. three. Right? By just pretending that climate change is such a slow problem, we can take 100 years to fix it. Ooh. So they are averaging the effect of methane over a 100-year time period. And Goodland Nanan said, well, no, we have to do it within the next 20 years. If you ask me now, it has to be within the next 10 years or even less. Right? So you have to look at the instantaneous impact of methane. because." We keep adding methane into the atmosphere. It's not decreasing. Even though it is supposed to go and turn into CO2 over a 10-year time period, that's the half-life of methane. That's not what's happening today. It keeps increasing in the atmosphere, which means every ounce of methane that we're putting into the atmosphere is staying up there. Oh, my God. It's scary. Um, We're going
1: to take a short break from the Voice America Influencers channel, which is uh, creating this podcast. And we love Voice America Influencers But we're going to continue on Facebook.
4: We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World or Android Market. We all want peace. We all desire a more meaningful life. Listen for
5: In the Limelight with Clarissa Burt, international media celebrity, supermodel, and renowned beauty and lifestyle expert, as well as founder and CEO of Envelop Her, multimedia platform for women and sought-after inspirational speaker on women's issues. You'll connect with Clarissa's super-influencer celebrity friends and experts as they speak about health, wealth, beauty, lifestyle, business, the love of giving, and the love of living a model life. Tune in every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time
1: It's time to elevate yourself and your business to the next level. What are the secrets of business success? Discover them on Key Entrepreneurs of Influence with your host, Kieran Sweeney. Find out who the business owners are that stand out in their respective industries and what they can teach you. The program contains valuable advice that can cost thousands through a professional consultant. Key Entrepreneurs of Influence can be heard every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, Noon Eastern. Time on the Voice America Influencers
4: Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are
0: listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to one eight six six four seven two five seven nine five. 472 5795 That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email in to janeunchainnews at gmail.com. Now back to the show.
1: Well, um, I don't know if we still have Emmick. She's been very patient. We should go to Emmick. She's been waiting since the beginning of this broadcast. Emmick, you are on live with Dr. Salish Rao of climatehealers.org. Your question? <laughs> Hello? Hello? Yes.
3: Hello? Yes. Yes. Hi. Um, So I was at the conference,
2: and it was amazing. And we did an open rescue as well. And I saw everything with my own eyes. It's just nothing compares to experiencing something on our own. And it was a horrific situation. We were managed to rescue some
3: uh, baby animals. And I know that you have a great impact. So I was wondering if you have a plan to reach from kindergarten to colleges, if there's a plan that you can
2: somehow implement maybe classes to teach people how to treat animals and the planet? Yeah.
1: Thank you, Emic.
2: Thank you so much. In fact, my granddaughter, um, she asked me to come to class and talk to her uh, friends about veganism and uh, the teacher allowed me to do that and you can see every child you know has that at the core of their being they're compassionate at the core of their being they don't want to hurt animals at all and unfortunately at the end of that um uh, the principal called my wife and said don't ever do that again
1: <laughs> what? <laughs> because, what, what
2: because uh, it was you know I, I think it disrupted a lot of families but uh but anyway, I mean after that the teacher asked me to come back and talk about India and because she said to, uh, I, I connected well with the kids. So I came back and, and that time again the principal said, please don't talk about veganism. Wow. Yeah. So then wow. I went and and I, and I just had only pictures of India, you know, in my presentation. But as soon as I walked into the class, all the kids congregated around me and started asking me questions about (laughs) veganism. So there was nothing that the principal could do or the teacher could do because that's what the kids had questions about. And so, uh, and soon after that, um, the principal came to see What the Health.
4: Oh,
1: What the the Health, a great film. And you're very involved in that. Uh, I know you're very involved. You're one of the producers of Cowspiracy and What the Health as well. And those are changing so many people, uh, right. What the hell? if you do one thing, get people who are not vegan to watch What the Health, because apparently focus groups have shown that the one thing that will drive people to veganism, more than just the suffering of the animals, which is the, I think, impulse of most of the animal activists, obviously, is that we can't, we're tortured by the suffering of these animals, uh, as I am, just trying to recover from seeing animals going to their deaths last night, pigs, looking me in the eye, it's, it's brutal, right. brutal. But for most people, it's their health. That's a motivation They're they're as the film title said, fat sick and nearly dead. And they're like wanting to change and they don't know how. And, um, so what the health is, I would say, if you could do one thing, uh, there are great films. Earthlings has changed so many people, but, uh, what the health is on Netflix right now. And it's not graphic and it's clever. It's funny. And, um, it's so insightful and it really looks at it from the perspective of how people are making money off of you getting sick.
2: Right, yeah, so in fact we did, uh, we were executive producers of three documentaries. The human experiment was the first one and then Cowspiracy and What the hell, You know. Wow. And the human experiment, uh, we showed that we are pouring all this toxic chemicals in billions of tons, 250 billion tons by the latest estimate. Mm-hmm year, and that then, uh, you know, works its way up the food chain. It gets accumulated in the bodies of these animals because the water is now contaminated, and the animals are drinking the water. The water is contaminated. The plants are drinking the water. They're storing all these toxic uh, chemicals in their food, you know, in their um, in their stems, and and the animals eat the plants. They get that, and they store that in their fat tissues because these toxins are all fat soluble. So then. We eat animals and we get a concentrated dose of those toxins. Okay, So the government then convinces us to eat those animals, so we get sick. And when we get sick, then they give us pharmaceuticals. So they're literally farming human beings and using us to make profits for all these corporations. Yeah, This is Uh, the growth of the economy.
1: By the way, we have somebody who, uh, uh, Jen, who says, I have already been warned not to talk about a vegan lifestyle in the classroom by an administrator for fear of offending parents. Oh, yes. Let's not offend people with the truth, God forbid. It's so rude. We all have a million experiences. One of our contributors, Danny Rukin, uh, who used to be a meat eater until just a few years ago and who woke up, as she was told never to come back to a party uh, of very liberal, progressive uh, lesbians. So it's not just, oh, this, is, this, this goes far beyond politics. People don't want to be confronted with the truth that they're killing and that it's unnecessary. We've got to call her Susan, Florida. Thank you for holding. What's your question or thoughts, Susan? Um, I'm Susan
3: with Animal Hero Kids, and we do education programs in schools, and I have noticed a difference in the last 38 years where kids know what the word vegan means, and the kids and the teenagers are really doing incredible things to help change the world. And our Animal Hero Kids book, Going Into Schools, has vegan recipes, and we do vegan cooking as part of our programs. I think that's a great way to change.
2: Right. Thank you so much. That. You know, that's the way to reach. You have to reach the kids and then the kids can reach their parents. Because ultimately, it's the kids' future that we are destroying, right? Mm-hmm. By destroying the planet. So the parents are also involved because the, you know, 2026 is not too long. I mean, it's only wow. eight years from now. So literally, we are killing ourselves. You know, we're killing ourselves with this consumption. So we have then every right to go tell someone, you know, don't kill me with your consumption. Right. This is like secondhand smoking, but it's much worse than secondhand smoking. Secondhand eating, you literally have to get out of the planet if you want to eat that day.
1: Well, you know, you raise a very important point. I don't have children. I have three companion animals, three companion Mm -hmm. rescue dogs and a rescue cat, along with that snarky vegan girl. We both adopted them together. They're ours. But I talk to people who are parents of human kids, and there's a big disconnect. I actually gave a book um, to a parent in this neighborhood who shall remain nameless, um, trying to show them how milk, cow's milk is not good for their children that they dote on, dote on no no response crickets crickets i've talked to people who are otherwise wonderful compassionate people um old friends of mine who care about their kids it's all about the kids but if you try to make the connection between your kids ain't going to have a planet and what you're eating on a daily basis shut down like i don't want to hear it almost like get out of my office right. so you're, you're wanting to create a vegan world by 2026 and I want to do everything I can, devote my life to make that mission accomplished. But how do we get through this willful denial?
2: Yeah, they're, because they're unfortunately, they're all programmed, right? So we are all programmed from the beginning. Uh, we are all programmed with all these messages that, that's just everywhere. Messages telling yeah. us, milk is the only way you're going to get calcium or mm-hmm. meat is the only way you're going to get protein. So people are so programmed into that, they fear changing, right? And unfortunately, this is the way every species actually works, you know? A lot of our, um, in any species, you have the explorers, people, you know, the the members of the species that go out and try new things, and that's the vegan community right now, okay? And then there are the conservatives who, who want to stick to what they know, what they've been taught, and they don't want to change. They're scared to change. And every species actually needs both. Needs Hmm. both. Because if you don't have a conservative base, then Hmm. the species is going all over the place and it's going to kill itself off. Mm -hmm. So a species that uh, has found, you know, how to survive will have a conservative base that sticks to things and an explorer base that goes out and tries new things. But we are now in a situation where the explorers have said, folks, if you stay where you are, you're going to kill all of us off. Mm. Okay, so please come to this new place and everything will be fine, you know. So we can fix everything if we come to this new place. So we are now, that's the thing, you know, as vegans, we now have a responsibility to create a system of normalized non violence and show that it is functioning. Only then will the conservatives say, Yeah, you have a functioning system, so I can move over there. Otherwise, okay. we're just saying, You know, let's collapse this and then we'll figure it out. No, we have to figure this out before this thing collapses?
1: Well, I want to say that I do feel, as toxic as our politics is today, that this is not about politics. Right. Um, this is really much more um, a bipartisan problem. There are just as many uh, liberal Democrats as there are conservative Republicans who are completely intransigent on this issue. Sure, we could look at, you know, the the fact that, you um, uh, You know, uh, Trump uh, uh, seems to be anti-animal with the trophy hunting of his sons and um, taking down the USDA's animal welfare information and various other actions. But really, um, if you look at it from the perspective of a a limited governmentalist, Mm -hmm. uh, limited governmentalist would not agree with Um, subsidizing an industry because that's corporate socialism. And so the subsidies which make the hamburgers so cheap is really something that is more of a socialistic principle in a way than it would be a a liberal principle. So actually, if conservatives, let's say Tea Party conservatives, who I don't agree with, I'm not saying, I'm just talking beyond politics. If we could get these conservatives to realize, hey, this is corporate welfare, By giving so-called farmers who are really rich people living in the city who've never been on a farm in their lives, uh, hedge fund operators, et cetera, own these massive factories that hold animals, they're really not farms anymore. The little farmers, you know, that Willie Nelson sings about have been pushed out. They're being pushed out. They're being destroyed by these massive farms. So there is a commonality between those original farmers and uh, people who, who want a vegan world. In fact, that's one of the reasons why we both went to Texas. Uh, to speak at the Rowdy Girl Sanctuary, a cattle ranch that turned into a vegan animal sanctuary. And that's where I first heard Dr. Rao and I was just blown away. Um, But this goes beyond politics because you can make a conservative argument and a liberal argument. It's bad for health. It targets poor people in food deserts. It's making them sick. It's giving them all sorts of illnesses. You could also say from a limited governmentalist perspective, hey, why... Is the U.S. government, or your taxpayers being forced to subsidize this toxic food that's causing cancer and heart disease and destroying the climate? And then when people get sick, we all have to pay for their health care costs. So from a conservative argument, you could do that as well.
2: Right. Absolutely. I mean, this is it just cuts across all lines, you know, this problem. In fact, it is a manufactured scarcity. That's what's driving this. I mean, literally, we are taking six times as much food as we really need. And then we are feeding animals five parts of that, you know. So only one part is for us. And those animals, like, you know, they eat seven and a half million tons of food per meal. And they are giving us in return, you know, like one ounce per person from two and a half pounds. So there's a 40 to one reduction that happens. So that one ounce then becomes the scarce resource. And because it's scarce, there's competition introduced. And, uh, and then people who want more, eat more, and people who, who have to do all the work are given nothing. So they starve to death. So literally, we have scarcity created out of abundance. I mean, that's what the animal agriculture industry is all about, creating scarcity out of ab- abundance. And that's scarcity is what drives the economy. Mm. I was in this.
1: Like the law of supply and demand. Exactly, You have to create a scarcity so you can prop up the prices. Otherwise, we would all eat pretty much for free.
2: Right. That's the problem. You see, I was in India like three years ago when I saw this uh, happen in front of my eyes. They had a bumper crop of potatoes and the potato farmers were committing suicide. Wow. There is something wrong with a system in which a bumper crop of something causes the grower to commit suicide. Why were they committing suicide? Because the price of potato plummeted so much, they couldn't even transport it. The transportation cost was more than what they were getting. So they just dumped the potatoes by the side of the road, and they had no money, and they went and committed suicide. Oh, my God. That is so sad on so many
1: levels. Um, There are so many questions coming in. Here's one on a totally different note from Kelly. It's difficult to go vegan in a relationship where the other doesn't. Ugh. So I break and feel horrible, guilty. I am a hypocrite. I am trying to find alternatives to replace dairy like cheese and other dairy, non-dairy products. I think about it every day. Wow. This is such a common theme from people I talk to. One of the biggest issues that comes up is my boyfriend or my girlfriend or my husband or my wife or my kids that I've got to cook for.
2: Your thoughts? Yeah. Well, in my case, the way I did it was I went vegan. And I told my wife, I'm not going to force anyone, right? I'm just going to go vegan. And I'm only going to cook vegan. So, and in our family, I happened to be the cook.
1: Ah!
2: See, because my my mother-in-law would always criticize my wife's cooking, but she would praise my cooking. So my wife said, I'm not cooking for her. You cook for her. So that's how I became the cook. And because I was cooking, everybody was eating vegan at home. And eventually they all said, you know, this actually is a better way to eat. (laughs) <laughs> so why don't we just stick with this? So my wife turned vegan, Now my whole family has gone vegan. You
1: know? Wow,
2: how wonderful!
1: Yeah, in my family, I have a nephew who's vegan. His daughter has been vegan from birth. She's now a college student, super healthy. Um, <clears throat> she's studying. She's very smart. She's also very athletic. Uh, but then we have people who all along the spectrum: some very big meat eaters, some pescatarian-ish. Mm-hmm. You know, um, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. You know, um, my psych, I had a a therapist once who said something funny when I was single and and he said, you know, dating is a numbers game. Just move on to the next. Don't try to make something that's not working work. And I think it's that way with veganism. You know, it's a numbers game. I'm not going to waste a lot of energy focusing on someone who is just intransigent. I'm going to move on to the next person, the next person, the next person. And you know what? It would be a deal breaker for me. Uh, I met Donna. She was not vegan, but she's compassionate. And we actually had an argument about squirrels right off the bat. And then she just went back and said, what what is this woman so passionate about? And watched uh, Meet Your Meat and Farm to Fridge. And she went vegan. I'm lucky. But it's a deal breaker for me. I, I would not be able to uh, be with somebody who who makes their body a graveyard for dead animals. It's just it's just not possible. Um, but that's me. Um, I don't judge anybody uh, because I have friends who say, you know what? I date somebody, I turn them vegan, and then we break up, and they stay vegan. Um, we're going to take another break uh, on the radio show Voice America influencers, but we're going to stay here on Facebook Live, continuing to talk.
4: We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
1: Broaden your mind. Open your heart for a greater understanding of how to express your pure and authentic nature. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Simron author, publisher and life mentor broadens minds and opens hearts to a greater understanding of life, consciousness and humanity. 1111 Talk Radio is every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. 1111 Talk Radio. You are not on a
0: journey. You are the journey. You are experience experiencing itself.
5: Being here. With Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane, right here on the 7th Wave Network.
0: Are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email in to Jane Unchained News at gmail.com. Now back to the show.
1: Well, we are here with the amazing Dr. Salish Rao, who, if you want to know more about it, go to climatehealers.org. You're going to have a conference in Phoenix, October 26th through 28th, Jane unchained will be there as soon as i heard about it it's uh, to create a vegan world by 2026 i said i'm on board i want to aim for this right. and and do whatever it is that you suggest and and so you have a whole list here that is extraordinary that i'll be taking an hour to read on how to create so what you're going to do is create an architecture and infrastructure for a vegan world and if you want to just get Headline Spiritual Principles, Animal Slavery versus Animal Liberation. Um, and there's a whole bunch of others ecological principles, social principles, economic principles, political principles. The list goes on and on. It almost sounds like you want to change the entire society. And uh, I, I'm just asking because I try to change one person with one bad habit and I run into a brick wall. Um, how are you going to change the entire society by 2026?
2: Well, the way, uh, I mean, it's similar to the way we try to do this in the internet. Internet also people said you could never, you cannot build that because that's you know, too fast. We were trying to do something that was 10 times faster than what, was, uh, what was they were having trouble with getting it to work. And it was a completely different technology. So we said, okay, let's do this with digital signal t- technology as opposed to analog. And people said, we don't know what that is. And he said, we can make it work. So they let us play. And within three years, we had the standard and it was working beautifully. And, and you know, you know what happened. But it's, so it's a very similar thing we need to do. We have to create something new, uh, independent of the old. Mm. So we have to create something new that, is, that has got nonviolence from the outset. Mm. Okay, so nonviolence is coded from the outset in the new. And when you create that new system, and you show that you can live in this and you'll be happy living in this. So this is why you have to have an example community that is practicing this. And we are trying to do that in Costa Rica. What? So we have a project called the Sacred Lifeline Project where we are actually uh, getting uh, universities to send their research students, you know, their scholars to come and study all the diff, all the various changes that we need to do. We're going to implement this new system and try it out and, and then figure out, you know, whatever kinks there are, iron them out so that when it's replicated, when people take this and, you know, modify it a little bit and use it in other places, then you can create a network of such communities that then can grow. So this is the idea. The idea is to create a new system that is independent of the old so that people can then choose, I want to go there, you know, I don't want to stick with this.
1: I wanted to get my dog because I think one of the ways to get people to be more compassionate. Everywhere I turn, all my neighbors—they love their dogs. When it comes to dogs and cats, they're super compassionate. Can you address that?
2: Yeah, I mean we are fundamentally compassionate. You know, um, we have to have the compassion taken out of us. We have to have the shell built around us uh, by showing us things that are violent so, so that we start <coughs> creating a shell around us. So like I go to schools and I ask kids, you know, how many of you would deliberately hurt an innocent animal unnecessarily? And every kid, every member in my audience so far have said, no, I would never do that. And so because that's who we really are, we have compassion at the very core of our being. And the only way we can get that compassion out is if we witness something, some traumatic event, some violent event. And then we say, oh, wow, now I have this. The next time I see it, I won't be as sensitive to that anymore. So we get desensitized to our compassion. And so this is the problem that we face. And this is why people are fundamentally compassionate to all their animals, to their pet animals. And yet they eat. they, They eat food. Because they have been told that, that there's nothing wrong going on there. This is just food. This is necessary for you. But once they realize it's not necessary, then we have, we have this opportunity to get everyone to shift. So
1: what's the first step in terms of the shift? We're, so you have this conference. Mm-hmm. 2026 is not that far away. Right. Uh, by the way, is everybody invited to this conference if yes, they want to come?
2: Absolutely. Any, we are welcoming everybody, and we'll figure out how to accommodate everyone who comes. You know, Because this really needs to be a conversation among all human beings. What, how we how we change to a culture of normalized nonviolence.
1: So what happens after that? The conference happens, we right. come
2: up with some ideas, then what? So basically, we're going to have to create these action plans on you know, year one. What are we going to achieve? by year one, year mm. two, year three, and so on. So, and then if we don't, so we meet again every year and we see how far along are we on our path and we figure out what we need to do to accelerate or you know, figure out how we are going to uh, maximize this growth, right, of the new new system.
1: I think we have Sarah from West Hollywood. Sarah, your question, or thought. Hi, I'm really glad
3: that um, Dr. Rao is on. So excited. This is great. Vegan2026, I would like to know what is the best way to convey this mathematical theory, well, actually reality that you came up with to explain this in a layman's term or layperson's term? How do we explain this to regular people that are not vegan? Why we need a vegan world? You know, 2026, how do you do the math real quick, like in like a one elevator pitch?
2: Right. So, you know, I did the calculation using an, an exponential model, and then I was shocked, and I said, what if I'm wrong, right? What if I'm, I'm, I'm being alarmist? I'm telling people things that they don't need to be alarmed about. Even though, you know, you should be alarmed that 52% of all wild vertebrates died off.
1: Right? 52% of all, say that
2: again? 52% of all wild vertebrates died between 1970 and 2010. So that was the result that the World Wildlife Fund came up with in 2014. So I waited till 2016, and they said that between 1970 and 2012, 58% of wild vertebrates died. So that showed that my calculations were correct, because wow. we were losing 3% per year.
1: 3% of wildlife vertebrates.
2: Right, wild vertebrates. This is like, you know, you look at a representative sample of birds, fishes, and wild animals all put together. And so any, anything that has bones in its body. Right? that's oh, about a vertebrate. Wow! So, so in terms of the total biomass, we lost 52 percent in between 1970 and 2010, and we lost 58 percent between 1970 and 2012. That from there, it's very easy to extrapolate that out and see, you know, when are we going to hit 100 percent? That's 2026.
1: Unbelievable! I hope that you get you. You obviously have connections with um, Silicon Valley and the tech world, because right. I think that the smartest minds that are doing extraordinary things with artificial intelligence, et cetera, they've got to know this. And they have the funds to implement your your architecture. Uh, you know, we know that we have Bill Gates investing in meat alternatives. Right. We have some of these other, Biz Stone, I believe, one of the, the Twitter uh,
2: founder.
1: yes, Twitter founder, co-founder, whatever, um, Twitter's Biz Stone. Is investing in Beyond Meat. They are investing in lab-grown meat. Um, are they fully aware that that this is the biggest issue of our time?
2: I don't know if they're aware. You know, I mean, I think if people are aware of it, I, I expect them to be panicking and doing something about it, right? And I don't see that yet. I mean, I've been going around talking to people, and I, you know, and I get this reaction from people saying. Yes, let's work on this. Let's work on getting a vegan world happening. I mean, I really think the vegan world is inevitable. It's going to happen. It's it's going to happen if we don't do anything, then with 2026, we are all going to go vegan anyway because we have no choice, right? Or we start doing it sooner, then we'll save enough animals so that we can recover the the biosphere. And we have no choice but to do it as soon as possible.
1: Okay. Amanda Jones, who is a non-vegan who often comments. Mm-hmm. And it's good to hear from the other side. This world is not going to go vegan. I will still hunt and fish and you can't stop me.
2: Right. It's not about stopping anyone. It's about, you know, I mean, even in the Bhagavad Gita, right? Where God is talking to man. God tells man, he gives him all this advice and he tells man at the end, you still have a choice. I love you so much that I set you free even from me. Mm-hmm. So you still have a choice. Wow. And man, at that point, of course, was convinced, and he did the right thing. But anyway, so you always have a choice. No one is going to force anyone. But as more and more of us go vegan, you're going to be in the minority, and you're going to get left out. You know, so then you will say, "Well, I probably want to go over there because that's where it, you know everyone is." Right?
1: We're running out of time, but with the internet, there was a a physical structure that you could create like the ethernet and cables and computers. With a vegan world, it's harder for me to visualize the alternative structure that you're going to create.
2: Well, it is actually going to be a physical infrastructure as well because in the vegan world, it's going to be um, the internet with Holochain or some kind of technology that Freeze the internet from the clutches of the big corporations.
1: Mm. So
2: which has so which gives us individual privacy automatically, and institutional transparency. So you have everything done open source. Sounds so, like blockchain. Like blockchain, it's called Holochain. There's a new technology. Blockchain is not scalable, unfortunately. So Holochain. But is Holochain more... is
1: that a, an economic infrastructure or is that a? I don't understand what, what it's a
2: software infrastructure. So it's the it's like the nuts and bolts of what you're building, right? It's the software infrastructure that automatically guarantees to every individual that their privacy is taken care of, and and then it it also guarantees that everything on every app on that is open source, so that you can look at the code and you can see exactly what they're doing. So you know that you're being treated fairly in the system.
1: Is that going to be on our computers or our phones?
2: Yes, it'll be on our phones and our systems. Wow. So so on our computers. And basically we have to build that infrastructure for the software. And then we also have to have the energy infrastructure that's going to be based on solar and storage, energy storage. So, and, and a DC grid technology. A DC grid technology then fundamentally disconnects us from the AC grid. And so then you can create your own little grid and local connections because then you have distributed energy. So you have distributed energy, you have distributed communications, and then you have distributed food, which is vegan food because you're growing plant foods almost anywhere. You can grow it anywhere and start eating from that. So then you minimize the interconnections you have, right, in the system. So you're now creating a new infrastructure that frees us from the clutches of corporations.
1: And you think you can do this by 2026?
2: I think so, because basically we all have resources. You know, We all have access to resources. Right now, we are putting the resources in the old economy
1: mm-hmm. and basically
2: using it to kill off the planet.
1: Mm-hmm. And at
2: some point, people are going to say, I'm going to use those resources to put it in the new. And when you put it in the new, you're going to build something that is um, much more sustainable.
1: I wish if I had a a wish right now, I could wish anything. I would love you to be able to go in and talk to Google and talk to Facebook and talk to the New York Times and talk to uh, the Twitter uh, team and talk to Vice News and talk to CNN and talk to MSNBC, talk to Rachel Maddow, who who I love in every other way, but who talks about, oh, my turkey was so big this Thanksgiving, I couldn't get it in the oven. And we we roasted it in the grill and it was great. These are smart people and they are not connecting the dots on this issue. And you explain it in an intellectual way that I think they can kind of get because, you know, the reaction for me is, oh, that's so sweet that you care about animals. Isn't that nice? The condescension, the minimizing of the issue that somehow it's about pet adoption, you know, which I care about, but no, it's about the survival of the human species.
2: Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, unfortunately, a lot of the people, uh, I really believe, uh, like Al Gore. I tried talking yeah. to Al Gore for three years, right?
5: Mm-hmm. And I
2: finally gave up because I realized, you know, he really doesn't want to hear.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: So
2: there is a proverb in Tamil, in uh, one of our local Indian languages. It says, it is possible to wake up someone who's sleeping, but it's impossible to wake up anyone who's pretending to be asleep. <gasps> That's Whoa,
1: wow, wow. That is heavy.
2: That's what's going on.
1: <laughs> They're pretending to be asleep. They know better. They they do know better. The New York Times has to know better. And in fact, when there was a front page article on how you could reduce your carbon footprint, for the first time, they have now started to put in eat less meat. Yeah. And they did mention a vegan diet reduces your carbon footprint far more than what you drive or any other change you can make. It is the most important change. We are out of time.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week.